So if these walls could talk, we finished up a couple weeks ago on this series, Living Clean, and I was in the sanctuary praying about where to go and what the Holy Spirit would have me say to you. And, and um, if you've been attending here over the past month or two, uh, God's doing a really neat, neat work. And I'm hearing from some of you, and it's just amazing how some of you are trusting the Lord and beginning to read your Bible. And, and so I, I was sitting right, right in here one day, and I looked up at this, this big banner right here. And, and uh, if these walls could talk, and we had actually had this made for the event that we had on the new property uh, where we all went out and wrote on the walls. But then, you know, the thought occurred to me, what if these walls could talk? And, and, and I don't mean sermons, because most of you don't remember last week's sermon, and, and it's, it's not about the sermon, it's about being in the presence of God and allowing God to change you through His Spirit and through His Word. But, but this one word, just the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and, and said these walls would scream restoration. They would scream restoration. They, they would scream restored marriages. They would scream restored lives. They would scream restored hearts. They would scream restored teenagers. They would scream restored uh, um, uh, spiritual journeys that, that had grown cold. and now how, They would just scream restoration. And I thought to myself, Lord, isn't that a little selfish? Because really that's the theme of my life. God found me at a time where I didn't deserve to be found and he picked me up when I didn't deserve to be picked up and he, he, he saved me and he set me free and set me on a path and, and called me into ministry and restored back what the enemy had tried to take away. And, and, and so I'm, I'm like, God, well, that's my story. And, and, and you're right, Jason, that's your story. And that's the story of the gospel and that's the story of much of why Jesus Christ came to this earth to restore, to restore. And so... We, uh, we define restoration as the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. The action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. And we did decide and, and, and looked at the Word of God and, and recognized there were two forms of restoration that we would talk about through this series. One is spiritual. One is spiritual. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So we've all sinned. We're born a sinner. We're born into sin. Job says we sin as sparks fly upwards. That's what we do. Our human nature, our flesh, we are sinners. If you're a guest today of some family member that brought you here, you're watching online, and, and you think the church is full of people who claim to be not sinners, we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we're sinners only saved by his grace, needing the restoring power of a Jesus Christ who loved us so much that he gave his life on the cross, but it didn't end there. They placed him in a grave and he rose from that grave on the third day. And through that, we have eternal life when we put our faith in Jesus. So we need to be restored spiritually. But not only that, restoration is part of our story. Remember last week, condemnation is the language of the past. Restoration is the future of your story. And so when you begin to think that way, you begin to think, okay, this restoration idea is a process. And it's not just for after I die being restored spiritually. It's for here. John 10.10, Jesus says, for I've come, the thief not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Last week, again, we looked at the woman caught in adultery and how God restored that situation. Today, we're going to look at another story, I believe, that is so multifaceted in the restoring power of God. It comes out of the second chapter of Mark, and we'll just read Mark 2, 
verse 3. Mark 2, verse 3. Then they, everyone say they, they, came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Hey, can we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your presence, Lord. We ask that in the next few moments, Lord, that you would calm our minds, calm our hearts. Lord, that there would be good soil in our hearts for your word to fall on. Lord, uh, whether it's been a, a restful few days or a crazy few days, that has nothing to do with how good you are. and has nothing to do with how you want to move and work in people's lives today. So, Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way, put a gateway over my mouth, and let your words come out, not my own. Lord, and we'll give you glory for that. Perhaps someone today will come to know you as their Savior. Lord, restore lives today. Begin the restoring process. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place as I know you're already here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So here we go. Number one, we'll jump right into this. The truth always creates an atmosphere for restoration. I was thinking about this for a second. The truth always creates an atmosphere for restoration. So you you go to verse 1, Mark 2, verse 1 and 2, and again... And again, this is right after chapter 1, where, where the Mark chapter 1 is full of a bunch of stuff. Jesus leaves Capernaum, and now he's coming back to Capernaum. He can hardly go anywhere without the crowds following him. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And it was heard that he was in the house. And it was heard that he was in the house. Let it be said of Coastline that Jesus is there. Not that there's a good worship band, not that there's a good speaker, not that there's uh, enough room, and not that there's enough ladies' toilets, amen? Because we know that's not true. But, But Jesus is there. Let it be said that Jesus is in the house because it's all about Jesus. No matter anything, it's it's about you want to know how to grow a church, focus on Jesus. Preach the word of God and make it all about Jesus because he is the X factor. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came full of mercy, full of grace, but full of truth. And when the truth is in the house, Jesus is in the house, the house is full. Here we go. Here we go. So you, you think about this. Again, he came to Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Verse 2. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So in other words, he comes back to town. He finds a house. And so people start coming, but the house gets so full that there isn't even room to get in the door. Oh, may it be said of churches all over America that we would get back to loving Jesus and preaching Jesus and loving one another and walking by his spirit so that our buildings may be full. Would you, friend, do you know the church building is the most unused building that there is in America today? That breaks my heart, and much of the reason is we got off focus and we got all these opinions and we got over here or we got over here and and Jesus saying it's not about that it's about me restoring lives he was in the house the house was full and he preached the word to him he came the word became flesh and dwelt among us he was the word I love this when it says and Jesus preached the word to them he's just preaching himself he's just showing up on the scene being Jesus he's expounding on why he came for he came to set at liberty the captive to bring sight to the blind to preach the good news to the poor to, to proclaim the year acceptable year of the Lord's faith he came to restore he's in the house and the house is full 
And he preached the word to them. He preached the truth to them. See, the word of God leaves no gray area. Do you know that? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when the truth, when the truth goes forward, it discerns. When, when the truth goes forward and the Holy Spirit grabs that truth and brings it like a freight train of love towards your heart, it begins to discern what's in the heart. It begins, and we'll talk a little bit more about the heart in, in a little bit, but I just, I just want to make the point, as far as restoration goes, truth creates an environment for restoration. I can remember as a child and a teenager and in between getting in trouble. And, and my trouble may be different than your trouble, but I, I got in, I, I got in trouble because I got in trouble because I had good parents, right? If, if you didn't get in trouble as a child, you didn't have good parents. <laughs> they weren't paying attention. All right. But, but I, I can remember, I can remember my, my dad saying, look, let's just get it all out on the table so we can fix this. And I was hearing confess so I can spank you. He was saying, there's not going to be full restoration, peace, joy between you and I and the good Lord, because we were having to come to Jesus meeting at the moment for something stupid I did, until the truth comes out. And the truth always comes out. And so I can remember, I'm just using this little illustration, I can remember, and some of you parents in here get a, can, can relate to this, I can remember telling 95% of the truth. And it was like my mother or father had the Jedi trick going, right? Because my dad would later, maybe, okay, well, if that's the truth, okay, if that's how it happened, and he'd give me that look like, you, you can go. If you say that's how it happened, you can go. And man, I'd go away with a heavy heart. I'd go away, especially when I was really, really younger. As you get into the teenage years, you're like, but the truth comes out eventually. That 5% will get you grounded. But you know, when your heart's still soft, you're like six, seven, eight, nine years old, your heart's still kind of soft and you go away and you can't sleep and you feel like, and you feel like it's been days and it's only been like 10 minutes, right? And, and you go back downstairs, I remember going back and say, Dad, sorry, I didn't tell you the whole truth. I didn't tell you the whole truth. The neighbor's cat died because I shot it. I know I said it fell in the pool. I did not shoot anybody's cat. Don't send me any emails. But listen, 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 listen. The friction that, that would be between a child and a parent in the right way should be, should be between us and the Lord when things aren't right. And so, so truth, truth, the word of God, God didn't give us the, his Bible. He didn't give us this love letter to beat us over the head with it. He gave it to us to lead us and guide us and direct us. Then he gave us his Holy Spirit that enlightens the word to our life. And then when the truth comes at us and, and we're not living in reference to that truth, and we know we need, we need to be restored in that area, there's no black and white. There's no gray area there. It's just black and white. It's like, all right, then now I have a choice to choose between life and death. Now I have a choice. 
choice. Am I going to go the narrow way or the wide way? Now I have a choice because the restoring power of God is here, but I've got to decide now the truth has come out. He is the great restorer. Am I going to allow him in because he knows everything anyway and allow the atmosphere of the truth to birth restoration in that area of my life that I need to be set free in? So, here, here, the truth. The truth creates an environment of restoration. You can't prop up an environment of restoration. You can't. It's the truth of God. When you take Jesus, when Jesus is taking out, when Jesus is taken out of any kind of change that needs to happen in your life, he's not the X factor. The change doesn't last, and the change isn't heart change. You hear what I'm saying? So, so he is the X factor of restoration. So the, the, truth, the truth, it creates an environment for restoration. Number two, the church should be filled with faith, hope, and love that leads us to action for others' restoration. So let that sink in for a second. The church should be filled with opinions on what they think should be done. The church should be filled with perfect people. We're in trouble. The church should be filled with faith, hope, and love that leads us to action for others' restoration. And and really, all this has to do with being in love with Jesus. I'm going to prove that to you. Mark 2, 3, and 4. Then they, I've never seen this before, then they came to him. I looked up and studied the word they this weekend. I looked up between eating turkey and watching football. I did some studying on the word of God. I looked up the word they, and I've never, I've never seen this before, but it was a lot of people. It was more than four people. I've always read this story and associated them with four people, but that's not true in the context of the word used in the original text for they. There was a bunch of them. It just, it just so happened that four of them said, hey, I'll grab this corner, I'll grab this corner, I'll grab this corner, and I'll grab this corner. But there were a lot more of them. And God spoke to my heart and said, that's what I need the church to do today. That's what I need Christians to do today. And they came to him, Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Verse 4, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here, and this may go against and fly against some of the way that you've maybe heard this story preached before, but I believe that I'm going to prove it based on the Word of God. I think that these people, not just four of them, but this group of people had already met Jesus. This group of people had already felt the love of Jesus. This group of people had already felt the restoring power of Jesus. And I'm not so sure they just brought the paralytic because maybe Jesus would heal him. I think they brought him because he was unable to see Jesus for himself and they wanted him to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ tell you a story my uncle my dad's brother who this is a story free to tell from him and he watches from way back in Tennessee uh, he he was wild crazy when I was growing up wild crazy when I say wild crazy wild crazy like, I was scared of him. I was scared of him. 
biker, you know, he, he, you know, disappeared for a few days, had his own room at the bar. I mean, um, a few other things I can't say because this is being broadcast, but, but just completely, I was scared of him. So, so growing up, watching his life, and just knowing that every Christmas, what was he going to do? And, 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 and then, you know, we would go to their house, and I was always scared. Just mean, mean, just mean. Mean beyond, just mean for mean's sake. Half the things I know how to do mean, he taught me. <laughs> Wouldn't back down from anyone. So... He has a praying mother. He knows better. And one day he finds himself at a crossroads. And God comes into his life and wrecks him. And for the next eight to ten years, he lives a life of helping build churches, helping serve his church. Can't talk about Jesus without crying still to this day. Back in 2000. And I was back in, it was the year of 2000, Halloween night, got out of bed to go to the restroom and had a massive stroke. Had a massive stroke and to this day is paralyzed on one side of his body, does the best he can, shuffles around like this, still tell you about Jesus. And I tell you that story because it's the reverse of the story. I tell you that story to open your eyes a little bit that when Jesus is talking, Jesus is always living between two uh, parallel dimensions of heaven and earth. He's been there and saw that, so he understands this is but a vapor that goes away. And so that's why he does what he does next. We, I, I have the firm belief they just wanted to get him to Jesus. Do you still want people to meet Jesus? That's a great question for every Christian to ask. Do you still want people to meet Jesus? Do you still think it's important to have faith, hope, and love for others' restoration? Are you still willing to do what may, may hurt a little bit to get people to Jesus? Are you still willing to go against the grain counterculture that's not politically correct and tell people about Jesus? Raina was reading me an article yesterday about a country not far away where they have put out a law that is telling all evangelical, or they've put out a statement telling all evangelical preachers or pastors that they should no longer refer to God in any sort of sexual term male or female they should just term, uh, uh, refer to him as the higher greater being there is really and then beyond that because the truth is the matter we really don't know Oh, we really do know. And this isn't about gender. This is about the word of God. There's so many things in the word of God that this world is asking us to compromise on. And if we're not careful, we'll compromise and we'll be scared to tell anybody that we have faith. Quote me. Now watch this. They dig a hole in the roof of a house that's big enough to hold a crowd. They don't care. They don't care what anybody else thinks. They could care less about what anybody else thinks. Are you getting this? They don't care that the thatch roof is falling on people's heads. They, they, you know, now if you come to my house and you want, you want prayer, Jesus does live at my house, so we will pray with you, but you can ring the doorbell. Don't dig through my roof. These people. 
I guess the great question here is, are we willing to rise up and be truth bearers? Because these people, I, I believe in their heart, they were wanting to get people to Jesus. And, and I told you that story about my uncle because when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it does not guarantee that life's going to be perfect and hunky-dory, right? It just guarantees that your sins are forgiven. And though they were red as scar, they're white as snow. And that you have joy and that you can have peace and that you can walk the rest of your days with a great, loving, kind Savior. Do we care? Do we care enough to dig through the roof? Do we, do we care enough? Do we have faith for others' restoration? Are there people in your life right now that you're like, yeah, I would invite them to church, but mm, there's no hope for them. Are there people in your life, I, you know what, I would tell them about Jesus because they're going through a horrific divorce, but they're up the chain from me at work, and I just don't want to risk that. And they're going through hell on earth, and you've got the joy of the Lord. Are you willing to bust through the roof? It's a, it's, a, it's a great question because the, the idea behind what they're doing and the heart behind what they're doing is they're trying to get someone to the feet of Jesus. They're trying to get someone to the feet of Jesus. So, so we go to point number three. You guys with me? Yeah. All right, all right. Faith for restoration is found in God's adoptive love for humanity. Faith for restoration is found in God's adoptive love for humanity. Mark 2, 5, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, faith in action, busting through the roof, lowering this guy down on a, on a bed, when he saw their, I love that, I love that, because Jesus is, is literally saying, you, what you just did to get this guy here, faith. You just wanted him to meet me. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, Say that word with me. Son. We're not skipping past that. Son. Son. And, and I, you look up that word son, and it means mine. One of my own. Son. Oh, the power in those words is that, that, that man or young man, we don't know, is laying on that mat. Son, people have shunned him, but the Savior of the world is calling him son. You belong, son. There's, there's something that's transacting between just them two at that moment. And maybe he's been pushed aside since birth and no one really has taken up with him. And his parents ditched him because of his condition. But now he's being called son. And, and if you're in this room right now and life has treated you bad or you're watching online, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is calling you son or daughter. And he's looking into your eyes of your soul and saying, son, your sins can be forgiven. Daughter, your sins can be forgiven. It's so, it's so interesting to me that when, when he says, son, he is proclaiming that you belong to me. Even before you were, the, the, the earth was formed, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I've got plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you an expected end. Hey, daughter, hey, son, before anything else happens, he proclaims to that man that you belong to me. I'm going to die for you. And right Mm. Son, the adoptive love for humanity 
is that's what restoration is based in that. God, don't you dare think God loves you more than he loves someone else. Son, someone may be paralyzed by drug addiction. He looks at them and says, son, someone may be paralyzed by anger and bitterness and they're running like full bore with the world. He says, hey, daughter, proclaims right there the adoptive power of the Holy Ghost when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Watch the order of what happens here. Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's just, let's just take care of business. Let's just, cause I, cause again, Jesus is parallel between heaven and earth and he's, he's seen heaven. He knows and he, he understands how quick this life goes away and how eternal, heaven, uh, eternal eternity is forever. And so let's just get, son, let's take care of your heart first. Your sins are forgiven. Oh. We pray for so many things in our life. Very rarely do we pray for God to deal with our heart. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Son, don't miss that. This world will try to adopt you. Young people in this room, listen, this world will try to adopt you as its own. It will try to get you to dress the way they say you should dress. It'll try to get you to do what you should do to be cool. It'll try, adults, this world will try to adopt you. It'll try to lull you into a mode of success. And then when God brings you into a season of significance, you don't, you don't explore that because it's still all about sex because you've been adopted, not sex, success. Maybe sex, I don't know. I told God to put a gateway over my mouth, so maybe that was for somebody. Adopt. Adopted. Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow, is that beautiful? Even with the woman called an adultery, the daughter, adoption, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you anymore. Go and sin no more. Jesus is concerned with the sin problem. That's why he came. Hello. Son, your sins are forgiven. The adoptive love of humanity. We read it last week, Romans 8, 15. I'm going to shoot through these kind of quick for you. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Son, oh, when you're struggling this week, would you hear the, the Holy Spirit say, hey, son, hey, daughter, you got this. You're not on your own. You got this. You can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that's within you. He who began a good work in you is going to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. You can do this, son. You can do this, daughter. You can do this because you've been adopted and no longer are you a slave or bondage to fear. No, you're an overcomer. You're victorious because he was victorious. You can do this, son. You can do this. We cry, Abba, Father. His love in Matthew 9, 36, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. When he looked upon them, he had compassion on them compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd the adoptive love for humanity nowhere in the bible can you find jesus hating any of humanity okay so the christians okay let me just back up a little bit christians christ-like you got that where did we get the hate card? Where did we, where, where did we get the permission to hate? 
It's his adoptive love for humanity. How dare you judge someone? Don't, man, I do not want to be the person that stands before God and it's his time to, to look at me and deal with me because I know me. I, I, want it, I want it to be kept to a minimum. <laughs> Until we get to the reward. Then he take all the time you want. No, no, no. He looked upon the compassion. And, and then check, check this scripture out. In Luke 19, as Jesus is coming into the city, it says, now he drew near. He saw the city and he wept over it. He cried over it. He cried. I could see Jesus looking at the space coast. When's the last time you cried over your workplace? When's the last time you cried over lost family members? When's the last time that we just set aside time and said, look, we're going to put our agenda aside and, and we're going to weep for the space coast? Because Jesus does. He wants to adopt every person that's walking up and down these streets right now. He wants to adopt the people that you know it where he wants to adopt. He died for everyone who is breathing today. Second Peter 3 9, talking about his adoptive love. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves you. Jesus loves you. Don't let that become a, a cliche. Oh, don't let that become a bumper sticker. Don't let that become a, you know, just something. Oh, when you say that, say it with conviction. When you say that, say it from a place that used to be broken that's now restored. When you say that, say that from a place that used to be dead but now is alive. When you say that, say that from a place that used to be full of depression, now it's full of joy. When you say that, say it like you mean it. Jesus loves you. Jesus, look, look people in the eyes. Jesus loves you. Wow. Oh, and we're coming into a season where I guess it's okay to say that. Take advantage. Take advantage. Number four, the true miracle of restoration is the ransomed heart. Now we're going to talk about the heart. The ransomed heart. Ransom, we know that ransom means someone's been taken away Ransom means someone has come and, and ransomed them back from being ransomed. In other words, taking them from being a captive and setting them free, paying what was needed to be paid. A ransomed heart. So there are two types of people that are, that are in this, this discussion and in this, this story that as it flows and happens. Because when Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, immediately... Verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins? Stop right there. But God alone. They didn't even say it. This is a gut check. They didn't even say it. They just thought it in their heart. Okay, so if I'm sitting here and thinking about things in my heart about someone else, I don't have to say them. I don't know about you, but that's one of those, those scriptures that makes me want to just get alone and repent for a few hours. They didn't even say anything. He perceived what was in their heart. He, per, he perceived, who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves... <laughs> He said to them, who do you reason about? Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? 
So he's taking them somewhere. He's, why do you reason? And there's, there's a reason that they didn't say it out loud. There's a reason that, that it was just in their heart because Jesus is about to prove it's a heart issue. It was a heart issue for those friends that wanted to get that man to the feet of Jesus so his sins could be forgiven. It was a heart issue. And so there are those there that are captivated. Their hearts have been ransomed. And there are those in the house where the word, the truth is going for the truth divides. The truth is a divider. We, we saw that in Hebrews. The word of God is truth and it divides. And so this house is divided because there are some people who are sitting there, religious people, you, you know them well. Impress me. Impress me. You got about three more minutes to impress me. They, they reason that that's what, that's what religion does. Instead of, oh, Lord, speak to me. Oh, God, I need you in my life this week. Oh, God, you have ransomed my heart. Hey, I, you, my heart has been set free and it belongs to you. What do you want to say to my heart? I can't believe I even got a seat in this house. Jesus is teaching the word. Now the roof's coming apart and they're lowering somebody on the mat. This is awesome. Jesus, do whatever you want to do in my heart. Oh, Jesus, take my whole heart. Oh, but there's this other group that's going, how dare he? How dare he do that? How, how dare he blaspheme? He, he thinks he can forgive and Jesus just reads their mail. He just reads their mail. This is incredible. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Now, here's what he does. He draws the, the, the two parallels back together. He, he draws, and he's saying, Which you think it's harder for me to say, rise up and walk, but I'm telling you that the greater price was paid for me to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Are you getting this? And so G- Jesus is flipping, flipping the story on him like he always does for whiny churchgoers. Because <laughs> they were having church service and there were some whiners in the crowd. And they didn't even speak out loud. They just whined in their heart. You better watch it. <laughs> so... So you can't, verse 9, you can't skip past that in the second chapter of Mark. He, he, he poses the question, which we all, we're all so caught up in the natural, right? Because, and, and, and there's validity to that because pinch yourself and it hurts. And we, and, and we live in a natural world, but Jesus came from a palatial kingdom of heaven. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so he's saying, look, you think it's harder for me for this guy to get up and walk. I, I took care of the important business first. But then just so, but then he says, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. Cause he's always says you wicked generation. You're always looking for a sign that say it right here. But, but he says that in the Bible. So he says, he said to the paralytic. So, so think about this just for a moment. Where, where is your heart? In that situation. Oh this is going to. This is going to hurt. Where are you at in that house? Stuff falling all over my hair. What are these people doing? My kid. I got to get my. We got soccer games today. I got to get. Jesus hurry up. (laughs) 
I, <clears throat> I miss Black Friday. I gotta get my. I gotta get going today. Oh, did you hear how loud that music was? I wonder if the air was working today. How dare those people say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How dare they? See, where are you at in that house today? Where, where are you at? Or has your heart been ransomed? Has your heart been ransomed? Because it was held captive, captive by sin. And now Jesus' son and daughter, your sins are forgiven. And now that your sins are forgiven, you li- it's the joy of your salvation. It, it should come out in the way you live. And wanting restoration for others. Wanting other people to meet Jesus. Your heart should be so ransomed. Ezekiel said, I'll take the heart of stone and turn to the heart of flesh. Jesus is the only one that could have changed my uncle's heart. Jesus is the only. He is the greatest heart surgeon. He can change the hardest of hearts and melt them all for his glory and to be used for his glory. That's what restoration's about. The restoring power comes to this young man in in the form of forgiveness of sin, the adoptive love for humanity. We see a picture of the church coming together to bring this one person to the feet of Jesus, leaving the 99 to find the one that was lost has now come home. Are you getting this? He's all about restoration. That's why he came. Is your heart ransomed? Has your heart been taken captive by Jesus? Is there a big smile on your face when you wake up? Well, it's not when you wake up. Because that would be hypocritical of me. Is there a big smile on your face after that first cup of coffee? No, no, seriously. is, is, is Is there a joy for life? Because I don't know about you, but but it is, I know for me, it's the enemy's plan to, to get me not to enjoy abundant life. See, restoration, I, I've come to give life and life abundantly. You don't have to live stressed out. You're not bondage to fear and worry anymore because you've been adopted into the family of God. You can let the things you can't control go and, and just and let your heart be ransom. Where is your heart soft today? Is your heart soft towards God? Are you checking the box? Oh, my prayer is that our hearts would be ransomed for some of us like the first day we met Jesus. I mean, the first, just forgive me for a moment. But I tell you, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, everything got brighter. I didn't say all my troubles went away. But everything got brighter. The grass was greener. The sky was bluer. The fish were bigger. (laughs) The ducks were plentiful. I had a love for my my wife that I I had never had before. I had a, a love as a father for my children that I did not know because my heart had been ransomed. I never will forget going into work that Monday morning and and I work for (laughs) I work for some mean people. Let's just put it like that. If oh, God's grace is sufficient, and hopefully today that they are serving the Lord. I went in, and I looked at my boss, and I looked at his boss. It was a family-run business, and I, had, I loved them. And I got mad because I loved them. 
I was upset with myself for loving them. What happened? My heart had been ransomed. My heart, he, he just totally got in there and said, and what was left was this piece of clay that said, God, do whatever you want to with me. Am I professing that I've stayed that way every day of my life? Absolutely not. Restoration's a process. It's an ongoing, it's the story of your future. But oh, I'm just asking you today, do you need to get back? Like David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Do we need to get back there? Where's your heart? How's your heart? How's your heart today? Last thing. A life walked out in restoration brings glory to God daily. So Mark 2, 11 and 12. So Jesus then looks back at the paralytic. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Look at the process of restoration right here. Arise, you have, a, you have a part to play. American culture says you're a victim and, and you, you know, if that coach doesn't like you, then quit. Or if you, you know, you, you, know, you, don't, you don't really have to work, you know, you, you don't really have to pour yourself into anything, you know, yeah, it's just whatever. We have a part to play in restoration. Get up. I love this, and I don't know who said it, but I say it a lot. Get up, dress up, and show up. Because showing up's half the battle. Amen? All those of you who have small children try to get to church on Sunday morning, showing up is half the battle. Get up, dress up, show up. Get up, arise. Now arise and take that bed and go. It's interesting to me that both of these stories that we've talked about in the last two weeks end with go. Right? Because restoration is the story of your future. Restoration is how other people see the light and the power of God working in your life. I tell you what, when I began to love my employers, they saw a difference in me, and before long they were giving me Sunday off. They're like, he is he is a better, he's making us more money working less. Let him go to church. I don't know what they're doing over there, but let him go. Because like his, his hold has increased. Hey, give, if, give, don't make him come to work any. No, I'm just kidding. No, they, they begin to see the change in me. Do, have people around you seen the change or has it been a while? Has it been a while and have you just kind of gotten staunch? Or do they know you as a man or woman of God? We talked about that a few weeks ago. A ransomed heart. A life walked out in restoration brings glory to God. It's not that we don't fall. We fall, but we get back up. We, we are the light of the Lord. Now watch this. I've got time to do this. I didn't know if I, I was going to have time to do this or not. Romans, Romans, I believe it's chapter 6, 1 through 7. So the process of restoration. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. The woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Now, the, the man who, whose sins have been forgiven, do you think for a second that his first thought was, oh man, I'm going to go out and do all the bad things that I never got to do because I can walk now? No, no, because his heart had been ransomed. He had been adopted. He, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace abounds? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death, dying to self? Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism in death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Are you getting this? You want the benefits of Jesus, we got to die as he died. We have to die to self. And, and that's, that's why we, we baptize people to identify with Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Verse 4 says, And we should also walk in the newness of life, for if we have been united together in likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6 Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Restoration. No longer slaves of sin. Restoration. Ransom. My heart has been ransomed. Does that mean I'm never going to sin any, uh, anymore? Absolutely not. But I'm not a slave to that sin. I've been set free from, that, uh, from, from a life full of sin to a life of newness. And I'm going to walk that newness out as a restored human being. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old is gone, the new has come. For he who has died has been freed from sin. In other words, he who has died with Christ and identifies with him in his death. And then you look over the last scripture we'll look at today. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jason, why did you end there? That seems kind of abrupt. Because restoration, a life lived in restoration brings glory to God daily. And when you remember, realize, have a God moment that reminds you of how blessed you are, that God found you and set you free and saved you, it will lead you to a place of wanting to be the light that he's called you to be. I love, I love surrounding myself with not just Christian people, but good people. There are people in my life that I aspire to be like. They're just good people. At the drop of a hat, they'll drop anything and come go help someone because they're good people. They're good people because the love of Christ found them maybe in that same state one day. And they realize my life is a process of restoration. I haven't arrived yet, but I've left. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Right? Walk out your restoration. Walk it out this week. How does that look for you? It may look different for you than it does you, than it does you, than it does you, than it does you. Work it out. Walk your restoration out. Walk your story out in front of those around you. I would say mostly this has been a message to us as Christians and and the church. Are we willing to do what it takes to get someone to the feet of Jesus? Are, are we willing to say, God, you have all of my heart, but perhaps you're here today and you go back to Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we all need to be saved. We all need to be restored spiritually. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart, hello, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's the Messiah, he's crucified for us, he's placed in the grave, and that God raised him from that grave, you will be saved. You say, is that easy? That's what the Bible says. Thus starts your journey. Thus starts your your restoration story. 
blank pages, man. Some of you in this room right now have blank pages. And it's so beautiful. You, you, got, this, you got this blank canvas before you. You got this one canvas and it's all messed up. This is how my life was. I'm, I'm talking about me. I had this one canvas and it was all messed up and none of it made sense. And it was like a bunch of different lines going this way and that way. And a lot of black, a lot of darkness and a lot of this and that and the other. A lot of self-indulgence and a lot of loss and a lot of hate and a lot of bitterness and a lot of rejection and a lot of let down. And then Jesus found me. And Jesus says, Jason, here you go. Here's a brand new canvas. Do over. It's his canvas. So he gets to be the painter. Not that I I never mess up, but he's got these strokes. He's got this one little can of forgiveness over there. And when I blow it and I come to him with a repentant heart, he takes that and he strokes right over that mistake. And I see how much he loves me by doing it. And that's what he did at the cross. He adopted humanity. He filled out the paperwork. He filled out the adoption forms for humanity at the cross. Do you need a blank canvas today? I don't know that I've done a great job explaining this story today, but I know this. Jesus is here, and he's here because he loves you. And he calls you son, and he calls you daughter, and he wants to take your life and use it for his glory where people will look and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Wow. Only God could have done that. It's funny, I watch some of you and you'll run into somebody else here at Coastline and you'll look at each other like this. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> it's like, Last time I saw you was about four or five years ago. We were, we were putting our paycheck up our nose together. Why are you smiling? Why are you smiling? Why do you look so healthy? Why do you look so healthy? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. That's where we started. That's where we'll end. Do you need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you need a blank canvas today? Would you bow your head all over this place? Maybe you're ready to start your story of restoration. If that's you, all over this place, say, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Right now in this place, if you're ready for a blank canvas, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in your seat, just lift your hand up long enough for me to see. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. That's awesome. I see your hand. That's incredible. Praise God. Anyone else? Thanksgiving weekend, 2017, Jesus weekend. You just found Jesus. He found you. You're getting a blank canvas to walk out of this place, a fresh start, a new start. Anyone else? I need to know, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. If you raised your hand, I'm going to pray with you. When I'm done praying, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold as we're dismissed, as we all stand together. I'm going to ask you to walk up to this table and get a Bible and a devotion and just talk just for a moment with Marilyn. But right now, most importantly, let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. And Lord, right now in this very moment, God, I realize more than I ever have that I need you. So I'm confessing in my heart that I believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Messiah. He is the Lord and he is the Savior of, of the world. I believe and confess in my heart that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a sinless life. I'm confessing that I believe that he took my death and sin on the cross, that he was placed in a grave and that God rose him, rose him from the grave on the third day. And right now I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Take my life, God. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for, for your forgiveness. God, as, as we're dismissed today, I pray, Father, that you would, you would give me the boldness to go up to that table and get a Bible and a devotion. Put people around me that will help me on this new journey. In Jesus' name.